Welcome back to From A to Xenon, a Disney Channel original movie podcast. It's been a little over three years, I think. Oh my god. (laughs) Shahad, what happened to us? You know, a lot's happened in three years. I don't I don't want to say nothing. Um, I lost about 12 inches of hair in that time. What else? <laughs> I went to grad school and finished grad school. <laughs> I'd say that's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> I um, yeah developed a whole career. I went from aspiring writer to full-time writer in kids TV, which is different. Yeah, it's been a, <laughs> a big three years for us, but, you know, we're now established in directions we want to be, and we're back and as passionate about Disney Channel original movies as ever, so we're excited to get back to it. Yeah, I am over the moon, thrilled, excited, and it's just a way for us to connect even more. I live, I love. (laughs) Oh, you know something else that did happen in those three years? A pandemic. (laughs) Ah! Oh, yeah, Avery and I, I would say, normally saw each other once every few months, but we've now gone probably a year and a half without seeing each other in person. It has been the hardest year and a half of my life. (laughs) (laughs) For many reasons, but also (laughs) this one. Uh, But yes, so we're back. And as people who have been stuck inside, what better movie to talk about upon our return than Stuck in the Suburbs? Ooh, I love your (laughs) tie-in. Yes. Thank you. I thought of it at like 3 a.m. <laughs> I love it. Yes, we are back and we're stuck in the suburbs. Yes. Well, I guess for those who don't know, you know, I had to do a little research, Sean. Of course. Uh, stuck in the Suburbs came out summer 2004. You know that Disney Channel liked to put out like their summer decom. And this was a 2004 one. So love it. And it was it was a hit. Um, and also had a hugely popular soundtrack, which I, and I was reading that it was one of the first DCOMs to have its own soundtrack, which is very cool. Really? Yeah, they weren't releasing soundtracks before around 2004. Nice, nice. What I also want to just like point out in this DCOM is just like the power that is this cast. Like, oh man. We're talking Brenda Song and Danielle Panabaker, like literal Disney queens. <laughs> I was going to say, for those uninitiated, those that's about as big as you can get in the Disney Channel stardom world. So Brenda Song, I don't know anyone more powerful in terms <laughs> of a Disney Channel original movie star. This is not her first DCOM. It's not her second. It's her third. And she's only like 14 at the time. <laughs> um... And it's not, um, and da- it's Danielle Panabaker's first decom, but it, she'll go on to do more also. They both will. But what's incredible is the power of the cast is not limited to the very talented child actors. We also have Taryn Killam, who will go on to be a star on Saturday Night Live. You know what I think would happen, Shahan? I think SNL saw this movie and were like, <laughs> this is the one. We have to have him in our cast. <laughs> They they were flipping between this and his comedic stylings in Big Fat Liar, and they said, this 20-something, <laughs> in 10 years, we'll hire him on <laughs> But yes, a very young Taryn Killam, so Stuck in the Suburbs, is about two eighth grade girls. Can I also point out, I thought that they were in high school this entire time, and realized very quickly that they were in middle school, and I was like, whoa. But go ahead. They are eighth grade girls with a shocking amount of freedom. 
is what I'll say. They, because uh, Brenda's character does at one point say, only four and a half more years to college. And I was like, that's not an amount of time anybody's ever counted before. Like no eighth grader is excited to get to college. Every eighth grader is excited about high school, but whatever. Uh, but yes, so Stuck in the Suburbs is about Brittany Ahrens, who is played by Danielle Panabaker. Uh, she is a normal suburban tween living in, I don't know what their town's called. Their, high, their middle school is Franklin Park Middle School, which I noticed because there's a bar down the street from me called Franklin Park. Um, but, but they are, um, uh, that's, that's her middle school. And she feels very, as we know from the title, stuck in the suburbs. She goes, she plays soccer. She obsesses over pop star Jordan Cahill with her friends. And Jordan is played by Taryn Killam. Uh, so her day-to-day is very much the same. You know, their, their carpool mom, she pulls up to the wrong house because all the houses in the neighborhood look the same. Um, so what's going to change things up a little bit? A new girl coming to town. I was about to say, this is not just like any new girl. This is Brenda Song, who is... Is it Natalia? Natalia? Natasha. Natasha, sorry. No, no problem. And I do want to call out her full name, which is on the Wikipedia, but not in the movie, because it's funny. (laughs) Natasha Kwan Schwartz. What? (laughs) Brenda Song is fully Asian. I presume the character also was, but she is, for reasons unexplained in the film, she has also a Jewish last name. I, oh my lord, what was Disney thinking? (laughs) I'd love to dig into the um, giving Asian characters, like, either Jewish parents or, like, hyphenated last names. Because in Glee, in a couple of years, you'll get Tina Cohen Chang and uh, Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy. Her, her, she has a Jewish stepfather, and that's a large part of her character backstory. I don't know why there's a pattern, but... (laughs) I did notice. <laughs> Interesting. But you're right. Like, in walks Natasha, and Natasha has, like, got it going on. I don't know if you realize, like, when she, like, blows into the middle school, the hair is, like, whipping. <laughs> and, like, they focus so much on her outfit, the ties. Like, she really is, like, the it girl. And our poor Brittany just, like, sees her and is like, I want to be different. Because, like, Jahan said, like, Brittany is just, like, living this very mundane life and she, like, craves to be an individual. She, like, writes songs in her room and, like, plays guitar kind of, like, mediocrely bad. But, like, she wants to write songs and she wants to be different. And Natasha is it. It's her way to be different. And we've seen multiple ways that she is exactly the same as the other girls. There's She has three best friends. They all have the same ponytails. They do a choreographed dance about three minutes into the movie in, like unison to a brand new music video so like they're really truly moving in sync um <laughs> jihad i saw that dance and my immediate notes were jihad we need to learn this dance asap i was going to say that to you as well i was like wow we got to get on tiktok <laughs> this is gonna show the kids who we are but these four girls are all obsessed with jordan cahill as we mentioned they all they all have pictures of him in their lockers. Every morning they come, blow a kiss to the picture, and they say, good morning, Jordan, also in unison. So really, we have this world set up where it is all very cookie cutter. It is all suburban. And who should blow in? But Natasha. Notably, also, the only Asian character other than her mother. 
which I I think we can get into a little bit later how this movie's like when some <laughs> the thing that sort of shakes things up is also <laughs> diversity. <laughs> um, I don't know if Disney intended upon that because Disney is terrible about diversity in their decoms. I went through all of them last night looking for others starring Asians other than Brenda Song. Oh. And I only found Cheetah Girls One World where they go to India. I love that movie. Vikram, the lead in that movie, is played by Michael Steger, who is in no way Indian. <laughs> so I... We'll talk later about an upcoming Disney Channel original movie that got us excited and got us back to the podcast. And then we can talk a little bit about representation there. But yes, so Natasha is here. She's notably the only Asian, I'd say, at the school. Who wouldn't want to be Natasha? Because like, girl is clearly original. She's cultured. She like tells Brittany like, right off the bat, like, oh, I've been to Paris and Madrid and like shopping in New York. And this is like all the things that like Britney like craves to go to these places and right. be like, m- like see life outside of the suburbs and stuff like that. Like this is her goal. So it seems like very obvious that like Natasha becomes like this focal point in Britney's life. And she's like willing to do anything to be her friend. Even this means like suppressing her love for Jordan because, you know, Natasha doesn't know who Jordan is. And so Brittany has to like put on a front and pretend that she doesn't know who Jordan is. And I was like, <gasps> if someone ever did that, God forbid, made me do that to say Demi Lovato, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, yes, I am now extremely comfortable in myself, own all the things I love. But I feel like, yeah, freshman year I met Avery, I was like, I pretended not to like Twilight to be contrary, although I think liking Twilight would have made me friends with Avery even more easily. So it was like a bold choice. Like I was making a play and I don't know what direction I was trying to go. But that's very like, it makes perfect sense to me as like a 14 year old girl to be like, oh, this is this will get this person to like me. It worked for me. It worked for Natasha. We're all thriving. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But uh, Brittany absolutely wants this cosmopolitan life and Natasha is now representative of that to her. So she's pretending not to like Jordan, but at the same time, of all the weeks, the same week Natasha comes to school, Jordan is in town to film his music video. Yeah, and this is, like, huge. Jordan, who I want to point out at some point during the pop, I mean, some point during the movie, they call him the Prince of Pop. He has dropped three number one single albums, and my God... (laughs) He is the shit. <laughs> He's the shit. He's they do call him the Prince of Pop. It's very funny. They he has this gorgeous long highlighted oh. hair that um does not suit Taryn Killam's beautiful face. And he's also like wearing like a kind of fedora type hat on it at the beginning when we first oh meet him. Oh my gosh, the early two thousands fedora. <laughs> I couldn't tell if he like if he was trying to be a blend of like Justin Timberlake or Jason Mraz, I was trying to figure out like who he was. I think he's a blend of both. I believe it. I feel like because of the time, it was meant to be very Justin Timberlake, which is funny. But I guess Justin Timberlake also had his iconic curls. So there was a little bit of a parallel yeah. there. Although I guess Jason Mraz might have been around <laughs> that time. I really don't know enough about Jason Mraz. <laughs> Jordan is in town. He's shooting a music video. And like, we come to find out that poor Jordan, he doesn't even want to do this stuff anymore. 
Jordan has lost his way. He feels like he's been like created by the industry and he wants to be about the music and the lyrics and not just dancing with the tween girls. Yeah, and a lot of what he's saying is they'll build this parallel up quite strongly later as we as the film continues, but a lot of what he's saying is a lot of what Britney's saying about how the suburbs, she, you know, she's writing songs about how like the door is closed on my dreams and she's being very dramatic. They're setting up Jordan as this, yeah, he's not comfortable in his current level of fame. So Jordan is working with Len, a record exec who is... The villain. And Eddie, um, <laughs> a villain. Uh, and Eddie, his best friend, uh, who was his best friend before fame and is now his personal assistant, which I will say is something I see in TV and media a lot, like your best friend becoming your assistant. That seems like a terrible call to me. I don't know if it happens in real life. I feel like that relationship should go the opposite direction where your assistant becomes your best friend, but it can't go the best friend to assistant route successfully. Um, but Eddie is his assistant. Um, so somehow, even though... <laughs> She does not, she's told Natasha she does not care for Jordan. When she finds out he's filming down the street from her other friends, Brittany's like, we should go. And Natasha is totally on board, even though, again, Brittany's told her she does not care about Jordan. Natasha's like, yeah, yeah, sure, let's go. Um, and they go, and Natasha's pretending to be a fan freaking out, and Brittany is openly just, like, screaming for Jordan. This ruse, to my mind, is over as soon as it started. <laughs> they watch Jordan start to film the music video and then immediately stop because it's not working for him. He's very He has a very Prince of Pop-type blow-up. And this is when, I think, the pivotal moment of the 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 film happens. Yes, because Eddie, the assistant, has Jordan's phone and this is Jordan's life. He keeps his lyrics on there. All of his important famous celebrity contacts are in this phone. Like, his phone is his life. And Eddie's in charge of this phone. And what should happen? But Brittany and Eddie colliding. Well, actually, rewind. Brittany falls, Eddie trips over her, and all their stuff falls on the ground. And what happens? Eddie picks up Britney's phone. Britney picks up Jordan's phone. What? Well, two important things to note. Everything is absolutely Eddie's fault because he does not back up. He never backs up Jordan's phone and Jordan tells him constantly. He's like, yeah, you've been telling me every day for months. Of course I'm backing up your phone. He doesn't even know how. And... He somehow picks up a bright pink tween yes. phone. It's like picking up a Nokia instead of a Blackberry. They are very different phones. Yeah, but to be fair, <laughs> he was about to get left on the bus. So he was like, guys, wait for me and picked up the wrong phone. Oh my God. What a klutz. What a dud. To that actor's credit, what a dramatic scream. That yell when he was running for the bus, it was hoarse. It was, I, I like was like, why did he go all out on the screen? <laughs> I was like, you're going to lose your voice in like the first scene. I hope this was like filmed out of order. <laughs> also, Brittany had to de-Jordan her room before <gasps> Natasha came up, which I thought was so funny. She had to take down like 15 different posters. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they switch phones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Brittany's actually the first one to recognize that like, oh my gosh, she switched phones. She doesn't know whose phone this is. Her dad's going to kill her because she's lost another phone. And I want to point out that like Brittany and Natasha, they try to do the right thing. Like they get their, she gets yes. Brittany's poor older sister who's like, 
a, clearly a geek <laughs> who doesn't know how to drive well, bless her heart. But they they get her older sister to drive to the hotel and like tell them like, hey, we like picked up the wrong phone. Like we picked up this assistant's phone and like we need to give it back. Also, quick side note, decom fans, who is at the desk of the hotel? Jahan, did you notice? Oh, it's none other than Drew Seeley, credited as Andrew Seeley. Decom fans will know him as the original voice of Troy Bolton I, in High School Musical. Jahan, I literally have that word for word in my notes. I said, for real fans who know, he is the singing voice of Zac Efron. Oh Before God. they tried, they you know, High School Musical 2. They tried to like teach his Zephron a little bit and they blend his voice, but the first one it's straight it up Bruce Ely. <laughs> but yeah, they they try to do the right thing. They try to get the phone back. Eddie over here on the phone and is like, oh, these crazy fans, like, don't let them up. And then it's only until they're about to leave that Eddie realizes that he doesn't have Jordan's phone and these girls are ready. <laughs> yes. So he tries to chase them down, fails. The sister has very terribly driven them off into the distance. And just a note on the sister. So Brittany has an older sister and a younger brother, and she it is very much middle child vibes. Her parents forgot her on the way to school. Her sister is, you know, the high achiever who gets all the like top grades and stuff. And the little brother is the baby and always sneaking into her room. As a middle child with an older overachieving sister, and a, like a bratty little brother, I must say that I truly connected with Brittany. And I just died when they like left her, <laughs> when they left her at home. And I did want you to speak oh, on that as a God. middle child, honestly. My favorite time <laughs> is when she's like, it was funny when it happened once. <laughs> But they keep on doing it. And I was like, oh my God. Yes, this has clearly happened to Brittany before. It's very funny. And um, again, I can't relate. I'm a baby. I'm the third child. I'm uh, spoiled and uh, the pampered prince of the Madani family. And I am a middle child who desperately connects with Brittany. And being an only child, as they quote unquote say, a couple miles west from the island of misfit toys. (laughs) That is is my life. (laughs) Okay, so... The phones have now been switched, and they tried to do the right thing and failed. And this is when Natasha starts to get creative. She's she's decided, okay, we have this phone. Why don't we have some fun with it? Because she gets a notification that Jordan has a hair appointment. Oh, wait, rewind. Oh, I'm skipping something. No, well, go for it. I want to be clear that they initially think that this is Eddie's phone, the assistant that tripped her over. Right. They don't realize that, like, it's Jordan's phone until, like, Eddie That's calls true. them and they get a phone call from Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely could not skip over that. I oh just my goodness. Point that out. <laughs> I I love the choice of celebrity shout-outs because in the first scene when Britney's reading a magazine or she's uh, singing a song instead of doing her homework she pretends she's working on a, the treatise of Beyonce or something because she just grabs the first name from a magazine. And I don't think they had any way of knowing who would still be a huge star. I mean, Beyonce in 2004, we knew. She had just released Crazy in Love. <laughs> she was obviously going to be an icon. But like Madonna, I guess, do you choose her because she has staying power or because you can just put in one name and have p- people know who it is? I was like unsure of how they chose because given the time, I would have put like Britney. Or something like that. Um, but I guess the character's name is Brittany. But yes, Madonna, they freak out. And there's a couple more celebrity shout-outs Shout as you out go on. Shout-out with Um 
and ah. J-Lo. Again, all people who are still hugely famous currently. So I think they really nailed it on who they chose. <laughs> um, they then uh, decide it's time to have fun of their own now that they know whose phone it is. They realize he has a hair appointment and Natasha calls and is like, okay, here's the rules. Don't look him in the eye, curtsy. And also he wants... Again, his luscious locks. He does hair flips in the music videos. That's his whole thing. But she says he wants his hair all cut off. And the hairdresser just is like, yeah, okay, that's what I was told to do, I guess. She does not. And Jordan, I guess, does not notice. But it's, it looks great. Honestly, honestly. bless Natasha. It's the greatest thing she ever could have done for him. Because I love the short hair. It works. It does work. And um, he actually likes it. He's looking in the mirror and he's like, this is how I used to wear it. It doesn't look that bad. Um, So he's actually kind of excited about it um, because, you know, the record label had him keeping his long hair. And I also felt this felt very prescient of Justin Bieber to me because he was so well known for his swoop and then like chopped it off. And it was such a big deal when he came out with the music video with the pointy hair instead. (laughs) And like, that was like beat for beat, the same thing happening years later. I thought that was super interesting. So this is a very uh, realistic pop star (laughs) representation. (laughs) So yeah, the girls, like they do this Operation Save Jordan where they're here to like change his old life. Uh, They do the hair, they change his wardrobe, they get him a dog, like, and all the while, like, our baby Jordan is just so happy. Like, he's happy of these changes, although he doesn't know who's actually doing them, because by this time, Eddie has, like, covered it up that, like, he ha- he doesn't have the phone and just simply buys him a new one. Um, so Jordan has no idea that his life is being controlled by these tween girls. <laughs> yes. And so she's looking through the phone and that's how she figures out all the things she thinks he'd like better for Operation Save Jordan, right? The record exec is very clear. You know, the hair is the money. So it's all very like tied in the record exec's desires. Initially, half the phone was kind of hidden from them because of the password. But Brittany decides, initially she was the one who called it an invasion of privacy, but she's decided she needs to see his lyrics. She connects with him so much. She writes lyrics of her own. She needs to see them. So she has her little brother hack in in an incredible moment because he's like, what's his birthday? And she's like, oh, he was she gives him a a birthday with 1982 in it. And he types in something and she's like, it was his birthday. He's like, no, he's over 14. Everyone over 14 uses the factory settings, (laughs) which really places us in a time and place, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And that probably was true of people over 14 in 2004. So um, she reads his lyrics and she starts to see that they're the same thing she writes about. You know, he wants to get out of this life he's kind of stuck in. He he feels trapped the same way she does. He wants something more. And these lyrics are so much more exciting than the songs she already loves. And that's how she sort of starts to put together what he wants and needs. And at the same time that this is happening, Natasha is helping Brittany kind of do the same thing to her life. She's noticing Natasha's cool clothes and she's starting to change how she dresses. Mm -hmm. Like she's wearing her hair down. She's working on her own lyrics. Um, And I think I wrote, (laughs) she's working on her lyrics. The whole month, there's a whole montage where she's fixing Jordan's life. Natasha's kind of changing her life. And then finally they, they change her hair and it looks exactly the same to me. I don't see anything different. They like straightened her straight hair. (laughs) 
And she's like, she finally breaks the lyrics and she's like, it's amazing what new hair will do for your attitude. The hair is the same. <laughs> Brittany, I don't know what to tell you. But yes, more parallel with Jordan. You know, she's she's doing all of the um, uh, changing he is as well. Yeah. And so I think what also like is a pivotal turn in the movie, which we get to like our next problem, is that I think... What happens is like Britney's friend like tries to call Britney's phone and of course Eddie still has it. And then like her friends find out that they actually have Jordan's phone. And so, you know, her friends who love Jordan Cahill are like freaking out. And, you know, Britney feels like kind of big and she like takes all the credit for changing Jordan's life and she leaves Natasha out. Like Natasha's the one that made the decision about the haircut. And she claims credit for it, all of it. And so Natasha feels some kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. The power has gone to her head, you know. Um, and I do think it's super interesting because, like, Natasha was the one who was like, let's live a little, let's go a little wild. And that's very much not Britney's bag. So it was like, she was the, but like, she's getting all this attention. She's the unique one in the friend group for once. It's very exciting for her. At the same time, her mom has been working throughout the film to save an old house in their neighborhood, the Ashburn house. It's a beautiful old, I don't know, colonial or something house. It's old. Uh, it's, it's old. It's gorgeous. The mom loves it, but the mom loves it because it's different. You know, they live in the suburbs and everything looks the same. It's the one thing that helps their neighborhood stay unique. Everybody in this movie is so worried about being unique, <laughs> including the mom. She, But like the mom has more of a, you know, this is something important to our neighborhood reason. Um, we don't want another Starbucks. I don't know if they actually say that, but you know, that's not what, that's what they're avoiding. Um, so Brittany, when she hears her, she hears her mom actually pretty upset about this. You know, she cares so much. Her kids don't even go to her rallies. The only kid we've seen express any interest in the rallies is Natasha when she talked to her about it for a minute. <laughs> um, so her own kids don't care, but Brittany hears and she's like, I can actually help get a crowd to this rally. Because again, the power has fully gone to her, her head at this point. Mm -hmm. She's told her friends she's been making it all happen. So she's like, I know what we can do. We can get him to the rally. That'll get a big crowd there. So she tells her friends he's going to be at the rally on Saturday. She tells Jordan's girlfriend not to fly out on Saturday because he's now booked and busy. Mm. And that's when things start to really fall apart for Brittany because she's now lost her friend who is helping her with it. And she's gone a little rogue. Yeah. So Penelope, Jordan's girlfriend, who, by the way, we never see in this movie. She's just like randomly talked about. But yeah, tells him, tells her not to come that weekend because he's busy. And what happens? Penelope decides to break up with Jordan. And Brittany realizes like, oh, crap. <laughs> the entertainment news reporter covering this says he's now hairless, loveless. And his video is behind schedule. <laughs> Oh Three, my gosh. Th th things have gone wrong for Jordan. Yeah. So Brittany's like, oh shit, I fucked up. It's time to go to and back to Natasha and like kind of set things right and get her to basically get her to help her. She's not going fully like f because she's sorry. She's going because she needs her help. Um, and an interesting thing happens. She meets, she's over there. She meets her mom and her mom's like, it's so nice Natasha has a friend. She's so shy. And suddenly, 
we start to learn some things about Natasha we had not known previously. We find out that our girl Natasha has been lying. <laughs> lying! <laughs> Turns out that she's never been to Paris or Madrid or New York. And that her dad is like a salesman and the farthest he's gone is Buffalo. So honestly, we never really learned like where Natasha's from or how cosmopolitan she really is. But we do know this was all a front. She wanted to be cool and have friends and basically re- restart like a new life in her um, new school. Um, and then they have an argument. So basically, Natasha's like, you took credit. Um, you know, you just want to seem cool. And they, so they finally have their full falling out. Shahan, this fight was like so critical <laughs> for me. I think when Natasha says, and I had to put it like in all caps and in quotes, there's nothing unique about you. Your life is a lie. Literally deep cut. I have chills. <laughs> Brenda ate this <laughs> argument up. That's what I wrote. Because truly the whole argument long, Natasha owns her like just fully like Britney will Britney says she like first of all Britney's face when she says there's nothing unique about you man Natasha got her like you said deep cut this girl is ruined by hearing that and the thing is Natasha fully cold flooded like she doesn't show her hurt the same way so Britney keeps making comebacks and Natasha knocks her down time after time it's incredible she's like yeah she's like you pretended to be so fabulous Brittany's like calling her out on faking her life she's like i am fabulous it's the only reason you even talk to me truly owns it like it's amazing and so she calls her out she's like if i'm so pathetic why are you trying to be me incredible mm, what a line <laughs> Brittany is ruined by this the abs- there's absolutely nothing unique about her She's like, it's the thing she's least prepared to hear, I'd say. And we see her like run off with one little streak of baby mascara. <laughs> and so what do we get? And then, oh, sorry. Wait, were you oh, and I no, about to say the same go. thing? Because I was going to say- I think say, you should say it. <laughs> I was going to say, after this argument, no one does a flashback better than DCOM. Mind you, this movie is what? Like less than 90 minutes? And of course we're going to get a flashback of like all their good times and all their memories. No one does a flashback like my DCOM. (laughs) Yes, it's a classic of the DCOM form, which is a montage filled with flashbacks from the past 10 minutes. (laughs) It's celebrating their week-long friendship. (laughs) Because they have not been friends for more than a week because they haven't even had the phone that long. It's amazing. And they were friends so fast. They, like, had the phone within the first day of becoming friends. They, like, really were like, yeah, let's do this. And it is set to a song I would like to shout out. Because it is an absolute Haley Duff bop. <laughs> Wait, it's a Haley Duff song? Yes, it's called A Whatever Life. Until we meet again, I think you And I was jamming so hard, I needed to go find out who sang it. And I said, wow, I have been disrespecting Haley Duff for too long. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yes. So Brittany, she now realizes, well, I fucked up. I went along with this. Uh, and she's like, really like, I didn't even want to do this. She kind of, she wants to pin it on Natasha now that it's not really her now that it's not working out. But she then decides it's time to do what she wanted to do all along, 
which is apologize to Eddie and give the phone back. But Eddie has already told Jordan that his life is being run by two tween girls because she told she told Eddie to get Jordan to the sh- the rally on Saturday, and he was like, "I need to tell Jordan that teen girls are running his life," and Jordan was like, "Oh no!" and ran away. <laughs> I know. I love that that that's his reaction. It's like, oh. I told her the truth, and now he's run away, and now I can't find him. What? (laughs) Things have fallen apart for Eddie Fest. (laughs) Yes, yes. What happens now? Jordan is missing. No one knows where he is. And our industry villain, I love this. I love this. Our industry villain decides to call the record company to get a global trace on Jordan's phone. (laughs) It's creepy. But you know, we now know that is very possible. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> and the whole, Eddie's uh, Eddie's like, wait, I could have done this the whole time and gotten it from the teen girls. <laughs> Just devastated. So, Brittany is at a loss. She's you know alone on a park bench, and she receives another call, and she's like, please don't yell at me, Eddie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I messed things up. But it's not Eddie. It's a call from Jordan who still has, he now has her pink phone in hand. They finally talk and she apologizes. And she also tells him she loves his versions of the songs. This is true. So he's trying to catch a taxi. We don't know where to, but Jordan on this phone call makes clear he is prepared to leave music forever. He says, the record company owns me and my next six albums. What? I have to say, what did you sign, Jordan? (laughs) But uh, so the phone's being tracked. So the record company execs and Eddie in their minivan follow the phone and find Brittany. So she is now a 14-year-old on a bike being chased by grown men. (laughs) Yes. And Brittany makes it home. Natasha meets her at her house. And they make up in the most oh. tween way. But wait, did I skip something? Oh, no, no. I was going to say, Brittany makes it home and she goes to call Natasha, <gasps> but she's not picking up yes. because she's already at oh, house. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. But as you were saying. Oh, it was just, you know, the best way to do a tween like makeup. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I was really just jealous of you. And oh, I'm sorry. You're awesome. And it was just like, oh, oh. I lived. <laughs> and it was really sweet. And they do shout out things that are true about each other, which is like, yeah, Brittany is really good at all the things she does. She just feels like a middle child. And Natasha is really cool and fabulous. She just had to not be shy at this school, like kind of own it. So they they weren't faking to the degree I think they thought in their fight. So that's really lovely. Um, Brittany's like, well, all is lost. <laughs> the record, like Jordan's leaving music forever. We've ruined everything. <laughs> and... Natasha's like, I don't know about that. Um, Because Brittany's like, we can't get him to the rally. My parents are going to be so upset. I've let everybody down. And Natasha has a plan, but we don't know what it is. And at this point, we get another chase scene type montage situation. (laughs) Because they hop on Brittany's bike together because they're once again being chased by the record execs. (laughs) I live, yes. They're being hunted down by the record label and their van. (laughs) But yes, so all the while they're being chased and still trying to find Jordan. Mm-hmm. And they finally do find Jordan, right? Because <laughs> jo- Yes, they basically were like, Jordan, stay where you are. They did, so because they know the town, they knew where he was. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the record execs are trying to follow like a map. And, uh, um, but they're like, however, Jordan did not stay where he was like he was asked to. Yeah, well. <laughs> he he got, tried to get a snack. <laughs> yes, he went to some diner. He was like, oh, I'm hungry. 
and is like, oh, no one's going to recognize me here, proceeds to take off his sunglasses and his hat and everybody in the diner recognizes him. What a... So, Jordan... Absolutely <laughs> wild. So, Jordan's being chased. Also, this montage was set to stuck in the middle with you, which I was not expecting. <laughs> and there's a recurring bit of Brenda trying to get some ice cream for <laughs> no apparent reason. <laughs> um, but yes, they... so. They're on the bike trying to get to Jordan. Jordan's being chased by a pack of teens and they're the minivan, the execs are in the minivan. But the kids get to Jordan first. They sneak him away from the crowd by hiding in a playground tunnel and they finally are able to talk to him. This is finally their first in-person meeting and it's like, hey, this is my favorite exchange of the film, <laughs> I have to say. It's, hey, it's Brittany from your phone. And he, she's like, uh, and Natasha's like, oh, by the way, JLo called her birthday's next week. It's casual vibes. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, soccer practice is canceled tomorrow, which I loved. And it's just so silly and so, oh, I hope he has a great time at JLo's birthday. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it. I love it. But they finally meet. And I think that they really, the cool thing that they do here is that they released Jordan's music, his version of the music. Yes. Yes, they get to release We, his... we finally learn what Natasha was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they release his version of More and Me and they spread it to the world. And when I say the world, I mean like Britney's like tweet friends. <laughs> exactly. And they even say that. They're like, the... <laughs> Natasha takes his phone and says, Universal Send. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but Britney, Universal Sends to all of her contacts. And she's like, the whole world has your lyrics. He's like, that's not possible. That's not how phone works, how phones work. But her whole world has his music. So if her teen friends have something, it's a whole phone tree. All the girls know. Um, so they go ahead and release the song, which, as you said, is so wonderful. They do they do right by him, which they've been trying to do for a while. They release his version of the music, and Len, the record exec, somehow receives this text also. I don't know why he's in Britney's context. That's but... my favorite. <laughs> the implication that these girls had the power to, like, it eventually got to, like, ahead of a record company. I was like, I live. <laughs> these girls have power. But Len says some true villain shit. He's like, if he doesn't sing for me, he doesn't sing at all. So we know exactly where he stands. Um, so the record exec and his team of flunkies finally track down the phone. They're like, wow, we found Jordan. But the girls and Jordan have abandoned the phone because they are back en route to the rally in the sister's car. Poor <laughs> the sister, This sister truly exists in this film to be a chauffeur. <laughs> she is serving one purpose. Um, <laughs> I love this sweet moment in the car because they find out that like Jordan too grew up in the suburbs. And even though that he got out of the suburbs, he still feels like he's searching for like his purpose and his meaning. And it kind of, oh, the best line, because I had to write it down. It says, you could be stuck anywhere, but you can't blame the location. The suburbs is just a state of mind. The suburbs are just a state of mind. An incredible line. Truly just drops that in the minivan out of no. <laughs> like, it's a beautiful heart to heart. And it really does like kind of open Britney's eyes because she's felt so stuck. She's like, oh, uh, you know, she's been trying to get out. And he's like, that was my focus too. But, you know, I just got stuck somewhere else. And that, I think... It's really cool of him as a 20-year-old pop star being, like, yanked around by these teens to take a moment to teach them a valuable lesson. 
<laughs> but at the rally, the crowd is turning on the mom because she has not delivered Jordan Cahill as promised. And it's very funny because the people yelling at her are not the tween children there. But all of the moms in attendance are simply going off on her. And not as like mothers of fans. They are there like, where is Jordan? We've grown with it. And also, Britney's friends are being very shitty to a woman who is their friend's mom. They know her. They were just like, no Jordan, then I guess we'll leave. And they were just being like very snotty. And I'm like, you know this woman. She is your friend's mom. So it's all culminating, right? You know, you've got the rally supposed to be happening. The minivan with Jordan and the girls is on its way. And the minivan with the record execs is also on its way. So they finally reach the rally. They they deliver Jordan to the mom um, and to the rally. Len is now promising Eddie a job if he stops Jordan from performing this song. He's like fully like, Eddie, shut this down. And Eddie's like, okay, this is now, like, he sweetened the deal for Eddie, who's just been trying to get Jordan to do, um, to follow their record deal the whole time. Yeah, and this is, like, a true test of friendship for Eddie. Because it's like, do you want to stay being your best friend's, like, flunky slash assistant? Or, like, you could actually get a real job. It's a real test on Eddie's character, I might say. <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> Eddie, like, straight up asks him, are you willing to sacrifice it all for this? And Jordan says yes. And this is Eddie's, I think, shining moment where he's like, he walks up onto the stage and uh, Len is like, oh, finally, things are going to be shut down. He's going to do, uh, he's going to shut it down. And he's like, he introduces his best friend in the world, Jordan Cahill. It's so sweet. Oh, yes. Jordan performs. And you know, in the midst of that performance, we have to have another flashback. <laughs> A little flashback montage. Another <laughs> montage of flashbacks, but it's only clips since the last very recent <laughs> montage of flashbacks. <laughs> So we've got like another 10 minutes of movie in this montage, including the chase scene that just happened, <laughs> which is, again, a wonderful thing you will see again and again in DCOMs. I'm thinking mostly of Descendants, the first one. That's going to happen again. But um, Jordan is playing Britney's guitar, which I love. And he gets up there. He's like, you know, we're here to save this house. And he speaks a little bit about how like, Sometimes you need to save what's unique about your past. And it's like clear he's talking about himself. He's talking about the house. It's all coming together. And he sings his version of More Than Me. Oh, you take away the lonely pain. Oh, yeah. And now um, we're at the end of the movie where one, the girls are once again in their carpool. Oh, wait, but I also do want to say that they did save Ashbrook House. They refurbished oh, it. Yes. They, like, refurbished it. Now it's, like, a beautiful place <laughs> instead of this old eyesore. Yeah, it looks like it's a public space where people can hang out, which is really cool. And, like, I love to talk about a public green space. It seems like something great for their community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so they succeed, they save it, they help the mom, which is so lovely. And at the end, we're once again in the carpool car, but now Natasha is in there, too. So there's five girls coming home from soccer and it's like mirroring the first scene. But Brittany's straight up on the phone with Jordan. <laughs> like she now has a relationship with this pop star where they talk on the phone in the afternoons after soccer practice. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go into the weirdness of a 22 year old man calling a middle school girl, but it's so sweet. You have to admit. <laughs> it's very sweet because of the movie, but it's wonderful to have this relationship. And he's like, hey, you should come to New York. And this is why it's sweet, because 
Brittany's like, I don't know, there's a lot going on around here. Aww. So she loves the suburbs. She's excited to stay in the suburbs. And like, she's not raring to get out to this exciting life. She's learned to love what she has, which is so beautiful. So it's really exciting. You get to see her grow. <laughs> and um, all the, they're all friends together, which is important because if you remember the choreographed dance at the beginning, they once again run in for a new music video premiere. But is it a Jordan Cahill music video? <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Eddie music video? Eddie singing the singing the original version of More Than Me, right? Yes. It's not like a new song. <laughs> they got Eddie to like be the industry's new pop boy. <laughs> it seems like he took over the record contract. No discussion was had about whether he was musically talented. <laughs> and most importantly, for some reason, his five backup dancers are these five teen girls. <laughs> it's very silly. It's very sweet. And... They all got what they wanted and learned something along the way. And isn't that all you can ask from a decom? <laughs> I was going to say, Shahan, what do you think? Because I like decoms like typically have like, what's the moral of the story? What do you think was the lesson learned at the end of Stuck in the, Stuck in the Suburbs? I will say at one point I was like, God, like a sixth grade teacher or a mom pitched the message of this movie. <laughs> Because it really felt like, I remember my sixth grade teacher used to be like, don't say you're bored. You're never, you can never be bored. You should never be bored in my class. And it just felt like there was a little bit of that undercurrent of like, boredom is a choice. <laughs> Not that that's the full message, but like, it did feel a little bit like, so that, and then I think, but more importantly, it's more about like, I don't know. What would you say, Avery? You know, I struggled with this too. I think it was like, part, I think part of it was again, like the suburbs is just a state of state of mind but of course of course I think it was also like the like you don't have to abandon yourself like to be great yes I think at the beginning like Brittany tries to change herself so much like wanting to be Natasha and like you know changing everything who she is like you know to try to be unique but I think it was so great because at the end like Brittany finds out like she is unique and she is talented and she doesn't have to like give up who she is like pretending like pretending not to like her favorite pop star to like actually be like great and be an incredible person and that's a really good lesson for tween girls i think you know like my brother once when i was a teen actually was like you know you don't have to like things ironically (laughs) and that that was important to hear you know it just that's the sort of thing teen girls get caught up in right so it's really exciting and really important to have that message of like yeah you can be you that's like i think the very bottom line of it is like you can be you. You're great. As you said, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. I also like that added in of like, and you can be you where you're at. You don't need to be aspiring to some far off location to be you. Yeah, I was about to say, you could do, I literally have like, you could do great things, even in the suburbs. <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs, Sugarland, Texas. Uh, did not really give it this much thought. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not feel stuck. I didn't go many places. <laughs> Okay, and then the credits give us a beautiful song from our girl Annalisa Vanderpool. Get out, really? How did I miss this? Take me away. So that's Chelsea from That's So Raven. So. I think a wonderful movie, a real like standout of a decom for like two stars who will go on to do so much more with Disney. And uh, it's also, it's sweet. It was really, it was, it was a big hit. It was it, like really like launched 
I think Brenda Song, to a degree, the other DCOMs didn't even. Yeah. She goes on to, like, have a rich Disney career. Oh, of course. Uh, including Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior, and, of course, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, which she stole the show uh, in every episode, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. something I did want to talk about a little bit was how, even if it wasn't intentional, there is this kind of undercurrent of, like, whiteness. Ooh, <laughs> speak on it. Say more. Like, well, right, it's a suburbs. It's very white. There's even a line where she's like, you've been to Madrid? My dad won't even let me eat Spanish rice because he thinks it's too spicy. <laughs> ah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Which I did feel like, yes, this is a very white, very same suburb. Mm-hmm. And it does feel very homogenous. So it is interesting that Natasha, as this new Asian girl, kind of is the one to shake things up. She... Um, And I know it's ultimately because she's trying to be cool and make friends, but it's also like she is kind of something different. And that's true in multiple ways. And um, I don't think Disney was thinking about that (laughs) in this instance. Should we do our Adam segment? (laughs) Yes. So when we were talking about what's changed in the past three years, we did not mention. So we are now working with Adam Avalos, who is an editor and producer and working with us and also watch the movie. And we'd love to hear from Adam who does not have the DCOM experience we do. So this is Adam's corner. Sure, yeah. Um, I guess I should just run through my quick history with DCOMs. Uh, I I saw the first two High School Musicals live on TV just because they were so huge. I remember like watching Disney Channel at that time and seeing uh, those ads for it. And uh, that's really... All I have with DCOMs besides the Asian Cody Banks movies, I don't remember what it was about those. I just remember like one of my friends was obsessed with those at the time. And we just watched, I can't remember how many there were. I just remember there were at least two. And Adam, I think Agent Cody Banks might've been a theatrical release. Was that... I don't know if it, it was technically uh, a DCOM. I, I can't remember it. That, that's that's kind of <laughs> my extent. So I kind of am familiar <laughs> with the format. Um, I knew Terry Killam was an actor before SNL, but I'd only really seen him in, you know, like Big Fat Liar. Maybe I remember seeing him in that, but I think he was in Bridesmaids or something, but I think he was in SNL. I just, I only remember him as the SNL guy. So seeing him like earnestly play this, you know, pop star where that line where they call him the king of pop, I was like, (laughs) I just sat there and like blinked for a few seconds. (laughs) Terry Killam. I thought it was very funny that he had a history of playing a pop star because his wife, Kobe Smulders, is known for How I Met Your Mother, Robin Scherbatsky. Right. And my favorite thing to come out of How I Met Your Mother is Robin Sparkles, the fake 90s pop star that Kobe plays. Oh, so I, it really felt like... Them all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so they, I love that they both have a history. That's a full circle feet. thing right there. There you go. Fake pop stars. Yeah, I hope they talk about it. I'm sh- <laughs> I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs> um, I love the, the fuzzy computer in her room, too, where I thought it was like an old um, Macintosh computer where it had like that like wraparound cover where it's all fuzzy. But no, there was a shot where it's like a regular screen that just has like <laughs> almost like a one of those steering wheel covers on there, like just on the outside frame or something. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. That's pretty gross. Oh, I was thinking, wow, I should get one, but <laughs> we'll we'll differ on this point. 
it's just that like like three inch long yellow fur on like the edge of your screen i'm sure it just gets so dirty after a while you know and i'm sure it's great for like your computer fans and everything yeah. to just have some fabric right up uh, in there <laughs> the most important thing though was the ice cream in that one scene in the kitchen <laughs> where it must have been like a liter of ice cream in a salad bowl with like an entire can of whipped cream on top. At which point the dad is so fed up with uh, Brittany who's eating it, he takes it and puts it in the cabinet. He doesn't put it in the fridge. He puts it in the, you know, the hanging cabinet in the kitchen. And then the, and they do. Yeah, yeah. It just cuts to the next scene. There's no transition or mention of it ever again. And I think they have like an extra second on that shot where you see the parents both reacting and being like, did he just put it in the huh. cabinet? <laughs> but yeah, the size of that ice cream, that ice cream was what Brittany was given for getting Jordan to come to the route when she told her parents Jordan uh, was going to be on the route. Okay. And it's like very much like it's the first scene where she feels like she's not just a middle child. And it's so goofy because it's even as a bit, it's the largest <laughs> Sunday ice cream Sunday I've ever seen on screen. It's. It's a wild ride. All right, Avery, do we have anything else we wanted to wrap up? Do we want to talk about the actors' current careers? Yeah, let's do, you know, at the end of every decom, we got to do a where are they now? Where have our stars been up to? So I got to say, my <laughs> the past year or so, my friend and I have been talking about this thing called the Jahan effect, where I get obsessed with a celebrity who's kind of out of the spotlight. And I'm sure they're unrelated, but then they suddenly get a huge boost in their career. I Jahan affected. I was talking about Kiki Palmer nonstop and then suddenly she was everywhere. But I have to say, <laughs> Kiki Palmer deserves her career and also is probably working a lot behind the scenes to get that career. But the person I most want to Jahan affect in the world is if I can speak Brenda Song's continued career into existence, I would love to. Because Brenda Song has that amazing child actor vibe right? Like there's a couple child actors like her and Amanda Bynes where they into adulthood continued to have incredible comedic timing. Mm. So I, I know she's been acting still, but so she was most recently in Dollface, I think the show with Kat Denning. I saw that. And I didn't re I watched a couple episodes and she was good in it, but I wasn't like, oh yes, this is the Brenda starring vehicle I would care for. But she prior to that has been on and off in some things. I know she did. I loved her in the social network as the crazy girlfriend. And um, prior to that, she obviously had a lengthy Disney career, which we've mentioned, you know, Sweet Life, Wendy Wu. Yeah, I too loved her in social network. I saw her in Dollface. And then for those like scandal fans who, you know, it's a show that like, I can't believe it happened so long ago. She was like in a couple episodes in those like first like one or two seasons, which was like pretty cool. And I heard, didn't she just have a baby? With Macaulay Culkin, another <laughs> child actor. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she just uh, she just had a baby a couple of months ago. And Daniel Panabaker had just had a kid a, about a year ago. So we've got both of our stars, recent moms. Yeah, um, and I know, like, I haven't followed Danielle Panabaker's career very closely, but I know that she's in The Flash, right? She is. She's been in every season of The Flash. I stopped watching it at, like, season three, but she is working consistently and she's playing a superhero again because we all know her and love her from a disney not original channel movie but a disney movie sky high jahan oh. fans i want you to know jahan loves this movie <laughs> the amount i talk about sky high 
And specifically Danielle Panabaker, who I had a massive crush on. Like, truly, the amount I love Danielle Panabaker. So, like, this was very fun to go back to our roots and see her as a child. But, like, truly, like, as a, like, 13-year-old, I was obsessed with her. (laughs) So this is me being very measured. (laughs) And then I think we've talked already a little bit about Taryn, like, SNL. I have not seen Hamilton, but heard he was in Hamilton, too. So big ups to him. Yes, I've only listened to the soundtrack, but he was King George, right? Yeah. That's, I think. I know he, like, had an ABC show called Single Parents. Did you watch that? I didn't watch it. Okay, I watched it. It was good, and it deserved more than it got, I would say. Oh, no. I think Adam might disagree with me. (laughs) I have not seen it, but I'm glad to know it's okay. (laughs) I... So I have heard it had like Leighton Meester, who also a teen drama star in Gossip Girl, but apparently has incredible comedic timing. So I watched it a little bit and it it like has a lot of fans because it was very silly. It was very fun. It was from, I think, actually the creator of New Girl. (gasps) Maybe I might be wrong. I love New Girl. And, uh, you know, Liz Merriweather has never led me astray. (laughs) I love New Girl. I personally love No Strings Attached. <laughs> so so um, I like Single Parents. And so, yeah, Taryn is, he hasn't like totally found something, I think, long term since SNL. But, you know, he he and Kobe seem to be doing fine. <laughs> you said No Strings Attached. And I immediately had a flashback to us going to go see that movie for my 18th birthday. <laughs> Uh, a beautiful occasion. Um, 2011, a great year for romantic comedies. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Anything else? We talked about Drew Seeley. Yeah, Drew Seeley, a surprise. Nobody else was really has really like done a ton and was really a name. I think um, Eddie was played by Ryan Belleville, who I've since learned is like a Canadian stand-up. Hmm. Yeah, so he's he's like got a bit of a name in Canadian stand-up, but other than that, not a ton. The cast, I don't have a ton to say about other than that, but I do want to talk a little bit about... So Avery and I saw a trailer for an upcoming Disney Channel original movie called Spin. Can I just say, you brought this up a couple months to me and I was you sent me the trailer and I was like, yes, I love this. Can I just say, in this past like week, week and a half, every YouTube commercial I get is for this decom and I'm like, oh, they really know me. <laughs> and... I'm so excited because this is the first Disney Channel original movie that I have seen. I could be, I, I, I'll do my research, but I, I did a cursory glance. And I think this is the first Disney Channel original movie we're getting with a South Asian lead. There are over a hundred of these movies and never once were they like, oh yes, let's put a brown kid in the starring role. And honestly, they're not great in any form of diversity. As I said, the only major East Asian lead is Brenda Song because Johnny Tsunami, um, the star of that, I think Brandon Baker maybe, is he's Filipino-American, but playing Japanese-American, so that's interesting too. But there's not a ton of representation. There's a few, like there's obviously, they love the Maoris, so there's like Twitches and all of the TJ Maori films. But like, so there are a lot of Black-led decoms, but I will say, again, mostly light-skinned Black-led decoms. So Disney Channel has never truly done a great job of diversity. But Spin, I'm really excited for. I'm finally getting my brown girl decom at age 28. (laughs) It did make me kind of just reflect on 
how amazing it was that we got Brenda Song when we got Brenda Song. Mm -hmm. There were no East Asian leads. She was constantly playing against type, like London Tipton. People were talking on Twitter about this very recently, how like London Tipton was the first chance East Asian kids watching TV got to see like an East Asian who wasn't the nerd. London Tipton, a complete ditz. My favorite London Tipton joke of all time is when she's learning to drive and she calls the the... Drive shaft the Prindle because it says it spells out <laughs> P- park reverse neutral drive. Oh my um, gosh, I love that. Yes, um, so like a full ditz. And so Brenda Song brought that, and it's because she is such a talent that Disney was like, we have to put her in everything, we have to let make her a star in everything. And that's why I want her to have a glorious, glorious career because it's what she deserves. <laughs> I'm still shocked that we got her when we did because like even Wendy Wu was supposed to be Kenny Liu but she was gonna play like the monk character not to get ahead of us on Wendy Wu and then she was just so good at martial arts because she's a black belt in taekwondo get out they were like why don't we why don't we just make Brenda the lead so like she is and I truly like I know Danielle goes is also an icon of DCOMs but Brenda is truly like an icon of DCOMs gave us so many rich Asian characters, and it's really lovely. So very excited for Spin. It's about a young South Asian girl who wants to become a DJ, and that sounds like a blast. I'm here for it. I'm so excited. Jahan, I think we should group watch. Yes, we will be watching. And we hope you will be too, because at some point we'll be talking about it. (laughs) Oh, Jahan, I missed us. I missed this. This like brings so much joy back into my life, and I'm so excited that We're reviving it. We're doing this again. Yeah. Welcome back to us. Welcome back to you, the listeners. uh, And welcome to Adam. What a joy it has been to get together and talk about our favorite kinds of movies again. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Jahan. I am at Jahan413 on Twitter. And the podcast is at From A to Xenon on Twitter as well. And two is spelled out. (laughs) And Avery, you are? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille says 36 And you can find Adam at, at the podcast Adam on all platforms. And that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>